Hey there, this is producer Julie Sabatier, and I'm here with another extra interview for you. Stephanie Phillips is the lead singer and musician in the UK band Big Joni. She was heavily influenced by Riot Girl, and I got to talk to her just after Big Joni toured through the Pacific Northwest. I asked her about that influence. You know, the concept of Riot Girl was something that I found when I was about 15 or 16. Um, and I was like a teenage music nerd and would kind of go through the enemy and Kerrang! magazines and those kind of weekly music magazines and look up all the bands and I think it must have been around the time when La Tigra was had their kind of previous last album out and um, that, you know, lots of kind of reviews started mentioning Bikini Kill and, and Riot Girl. And I was like, oh, what's that? Um, and then because I kind of had access to like the family computer and could spend all evening <laughs> just on that. Um, yeah, I just kind of researched and looked up uh, Bikini Kill and looked up um what Riot Girl meant and spent hours downloading those free downloads from the Kill Rock Stars um, label website. And it was really informative of what I understood as both feminism at that time, because I don't think I had much of an understanding of what feminism was, um, but also really liberating in terms of how I approach culture in that, you know, that really powerful idea that you can create not just consume culture it's something that's there for you to take part in and um, was really effective for me as a teenager and it's still something that I lead with today um so yeah I think Right Girl was really informative for us as, as a band in different ways and how do you think about your relationship to Riot Girl to the movement now my relationship to Riot Girl is that it's it was something that was really important to me as a teenager and that was really informative. I don't think it's all of my music tastes. I don't think any uh, Riot Girl fan would say that it's, it encompasses com- all of their music taste. Um, but it's it was a building block. It was kind of, it showed me, you know, the door to that led to other things and other kind of, you know, these all these other amazing things that you could do with music um, and with feminism and politics and kind of combining those. So. It's something that I still really appreciate and getting to see so many of those bands from that era that I, you know, didn't think I'd see. And, you know, seeing playing with Bikini Kill was amazing. And it's just so amazing to see them still kind of getting that recognition and getting that love because I don't know if they got that at the time when they were around. Um, but I hope they, you know, realize how many other generations they've inspired. Um, and all of those, those that era of bands re- recognize how many generations of, um, you know, young people they've inspired with their work. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's something that's definitely a part of me. Um, it's not something I kind of think about every day, but every now and again, when if there's like a Heavens, Heavens to Betsy song that comes on, or, <laughs> or you know, I think about the you know the Bratbaville album, I'm just like, oh yeah, that was that was really special. Yeah. And you, Big Joni, you refer to yourselves loudly and often as a Black feminist punk band. 
And I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what that means to you and why it's important to say it loud and proud. Well, we kind of came up with it because it was it was accurate <laughs> because, you know, it's a very literal definition of who we were, you know, we, who we are. We're black women. Uh, we like being women. We're feminists. We're kind of proud of being black and being women as well. So it, it was kind of like a literal definition, but also, you know, at the time when we started in 2013, there were loads of black punk bands and there definitely weren't loads of black female-led punk bands. So it did feel like a statement of fact, a statement of intent, I should say, that to label ourselves and make sure people can't can't push it to the side or pretend we're not there. It's like, no, we are black, we're women, we're feminists, and this is how we're going to be on this stage. And you have to kind of take notice of that and acknowledge that and acknowledge all of us rather than just trying to take our music or trying to take different aspects of us and putting our identities as a side. Um, you know, identity, our identity was meant to be kind of at the forefront along with our music at that time. Um, we still use that because I think that's still accurate. And I think it's still needed to kind of, I don't know, push our way through in, in that way. And, and it's, I mean, it's still as hard as it ever was for Black women to make a way through the music industry, especially in alternative music where it is just seen that, you know, you're not really meant to be there. Someone else is, you're not meant to be on that stage. You're not meant to be taking up any space in those kind of alternative music settings. So saying that we're Black women, we're feminists, and that we're proud of it, I think is still um, still that statement of intent. It's still a almost a controversial statement. And I understand that your song Crooked Room was inspired by a quote from journalist Melissa Harris-Perry. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so I was, I wrote this ages ago. Um, I was watching um, a video of her online um, and she's talking about the Crooked Room theory that she wrote in a book. I think it was Sister Citizen. Um where she describes the kind of multitude of um, oppressions that a lot of women of colour, specifically Black women, have to face, and how those oppressions that society impacts on you creates this distorted reality where you're kind of told that you're, you know, you, you, you're ugly, you're not smart, you're, you can't do this, you can't do that, and, you know, effectively builds this crooked room where you know you can't figure out how to stand up straight and the songs about kind of recognizing that acknowledging that theory which is such a good way of describing that kind of gaslighting that society does um and you know once you acknowledge that the room is crooked then hopefully you can learn how to stand up straight and you can break out of that crooked room yeah and when you look back at you know riot girl or punk you know in the 90s do you feel like the movement missed opportunities to be more inclusive of people of color and black people specifically? So I think a lot of people have tried to unpick the whole <laughs> right girl, why was it so white? And to be honest, when when we went through Portland and Seattle, um, it kind of made sense because those areas don't have a lot of black people. <laughs> um, especially, and I can imagine, especially in the 90s, there would have been even less um I think it was it was a movement of its time and a movement of its 
context that it was set up by teenage girls that didn't know loads about feminism and didn't know loads about intersectionality and reaching out. And it was set in by te- teenage white girls who were in a very specific area and a very, um, an area that wasn't very multicultural. So the limitations were there already. Um, and I think I've definitely heard, you know, Kathleen Hanna speak about this. I've heard Toby Vale speak about it. Um, you know, Corinne Tucker spoke about this as well. They've all kind of acknowledged that the obvious issues were there at the start and there are obvious issues that are part of every aspect of our society. Um, now, did it? Did they need to change the way it's set up? I don't know if they could have done. I don't think you would have had that movement in that way if they were um, as developed enough in their um, activist consciousness to be able to kind of recognise those faults. I think it would have been completely different. Um, I do think from all the faults and all the you know, issues that Right Girl had also that it seemed like a very, by a, dif- a difficult movement for a lot of the bands and women involved at the time. Now that's kind of, with the passage of time, that's kind of gone away. And, and I think that for me and generations later, when we're looking at that music and picking up those zines, that we, we don't really see what happened at that time. We just see the words that are on the page or read the, listen to those lyrics or see those videos of those bands and just think, oh, wow, that's really amazing. That's really empowering. And we take it at that value. Um, And so if you take it at that value, you can then add whatever else you want to add onto that. And I think a lot of younger generations definitely now, definitely a lot of Gen Zs have done that and they've kind of taken that and added their own um, modern intersectional perspective on things. So Right Girl Now has been heavily influenced by a lot of young people so it is far more diverse than it ever could have been and ever would be yeah that makes a lot of sense and I heard that you learned to play guitar by listening to Slater Kinney's album Dig Me Out and um, last year Big Joni played one of the songs on Dig Me In um, the Dig Me Out covers record how did that feel it was very surreal. It was very, very surreal. And it's still very surreal. I can't believe we did it. Um, but yeah, that was it was such an important album for me. Um, I would play, yeah, I played along with Dig Me Out. I think I played along with um a Bikini Kill Records as well. Um, it was like those two two bands I played along with uh, in the early days to learn guitar. Um and Bratmobile as well, actually, I should say. Um, but yeah, Dig Me Out was a really important record. Um, it was just, it's just so powerful and has such developed and emotional lyrics that, you know, as a teenager, you can read one thing into and when you're fully grown, you realize, oh, they, they meant this. And it has so much, so many different layers as you're growing older and you, and the song grows with you. Um, so yeah, it's, it was so amazing to be part of that record. It was so amazing to play with them. Uh, we played with Slate Kinney just before the pandemic. It was like the last, one of the last big shows we did actually before um, lockdown happened in 2020. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we've been very lucky that hopefully what we're doing is um, reaching a lot of our, um, you know, a lot of the people that inspired us and they can see that we were kind of following in their path and that we were kind of definitely heavily inspired by you know say Kinney, bikini kill all these other all these other bands and they want to help us and, and and help acknowledge what we're doing as well which is 
really amazing and really generous. And you said that you had recently, you just did this tour around the Pacific Northwest um, when you were in the, in the U.S., and it was your first time coming to this part of the country. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's our first time ever. <laughs> and what did you think? I mean, what was it like for you to be here and to um, to just kind of be in this place where some of the bands that you most admire started? It was amazing. It was really important. I mean, it made a lot of sense why so much good music came from there because it was so cold. <laughs> it was so rainy. It was like England. <laughs> so I get why people want to stay inside and make really amazing songs um but yeah it just it just it was important to see the context important to see kind of where that came from I think for us um and we really felt like a really good connection with the Pacific Northwest definitely Seattle we kind of drove in and drove straight out of Portland unfortunately just due to like touring timing and stuff like that so we didn't get to see a lot of Portland um but hopefully next time we're there we will do but yeah, it was just it was just really amazing to be there. We just it's very hard for English bands to get over to the states, um, so we just feel really lucky that we're able to, you know, get the visas and they haven't kicked us out yet. <laughs> That's great. Well, I'm glad you were here. Thank you so much for talking with me. Uh, thanks for yeah. Thanks for having me. Again, Stephanie Phillips is a singer and musician for Big Joni. She's also a music journalist and author. Head over to BigJoni.com to listen to the band's new album. The Big Joni song you heard in this episode is Taught. Our theme music is composed by Ray Ags. Listen to their solo project and their bands, Trash Kit, Shopping, and Sacred Paws. Starting a Riot is brought to you by Oregon Public Broadcasting and She Shreds Media. Thanks to all the members who make podcasts possible at OPB. Our editor for this project is Sage Van Wing. Our sound engineers are Nalene Silva and Stephen Cray. All mixing and mastering by Stephen Cray. <laughs>